Welcome to episode nine of Savage and just a little bit average here. Coming to you from uh, the crib today. We're not over at Six Zero Football Academy this morning. Uh, we are dawning from my uh, living room here this morning going into episode nine. Uh, we're over Zoom today and the, the great Joel Klatt, my ex-teammate, one of my brothers is going to be joining us here today on the show to talk about all things football, training camp coming to an end, the college football season and so much more, including your Colorado Buffaloes. Um, as always, we open up the show. It's brought to you by our good friends at Rico's Burritos. Make sure you go check them out. They fuel the Dungeon family here at 6-0, uh, and I'm eating them every day, and my boys are on them every day. So go check out everything at Rico's Burritos, and they bring you our opening segment here, uh, College Football Talk and, and the NFL moving forward in Episode 9. This is Matt McChesney from Savage and Average, the owner and operator down here at 6-0 Football Academy, and I want to talk to you about our friends over at Rico's Burritos. The Rico Burritos keep me rolling on a daily basis. My sons eat them constantly. My 12-year-old my over here is staring at me right now as he scarfs down uh, another one of these badass burritos from Rico's Burritos. It's a hearty 10-ounce breakfast burrito offered in eight different flavors, three delicious uh, breakfast combinations, five scrumptious lumps, lunch options, and the, the pride that is taken in offering a high-end restaurant-quality burrito uh, is second to none. The finest ingredients you can find, authentic recipes, that have been in the Garcia family for 30 years. Uh, young Cruz is in the program over here working his ass off on a daily basis. Uh, Rick Garcia, his father played at Oregon State back in the day, and they, they put the same passion and intensity that they have in every walk of life, and they're training and chasing everything down that they want into their family business, Rico's Burritos. Uh, for over 30 years, the ingredients and flavors uh, have been identified as the best in the business. And the moment you bite into one of these unbelievably delicious burritos, you will know. Uh, check it out. The website is www.ricosburritos.com. That's www.ricosburritos.com. And it'll give you all the locations, how to purchase the burritos, so on and so forth. On Facebook and Instagram, Facebook is at Rico's Burritos, and Instagram is Real Rico's Burritos. That is Rico's Burritos, a proud sponsor of Savage and Average over here at 6-0 Football Academy, and we are rolling. All right, thank you to Rico's Burritos for all they do. All right, so right off the bat, I want to introduce Joel Klatt. You can see him all over your television every Saturday. Uh, he's going to be opening up with Penn State Purdue this year and then Texas, Alabama the next week. Uh, him and Gus Johnson, I think, are the most electric duo in college football. When you can listen to them call a game, you know it's a big-time game, number one. And you know eventually you're going to hear Gus get super excited, which makes me super excited, which makes Joel super excited. And everybody's excited, and it kicks ass. So, Joel Clapp, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? And, uh, yeah, man, you're, you're looking spelt and good. You're looking all sexy and quarterback-ish. What's going on? Listen, that 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 camera adds a few pounds, so you got to make sure you trim up before the before the year. Um, it's good to see you, man. How, how have you been? It's good to be here. Good, brother. You know, it's uh, you know, year by year and rep by rep. You know the way us linemen operate. Um, if if everybody doesn't know, Joel and I uh, are shoulder to shoulder brothers from CU. We were captains together at the University of Colorado uh, back in the day when we were in the Big Twelve North. Uh, and he's one of the few guys out there in the world that I consider family, not just a friend. Uh, so we go way back and it's always great having you on the show, Joel. I know everybody here in Colorado loves to hear your opinion each and every year when we get you on the show, uh, a proud, proud Promona, 
uh, graduate. Uh, and, and, and high school football kicks off last night and tonight. And I know people are pumped up about that. Yeah. Let's jump straight into the NFL brother. Um, I want to get your, your lifelong Bronco fan. I know you're pumped about Russell Wilson coming to Denver. Are you concerned about them at all? Or are you just optimistic as hell going into the end of the uh, season? I was more optimistic before what I saw against Buffalo. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in quarterback play at that, that, in that league. That's, I mean, that's, that's obvious. And with Russell, I feel like they've got a chance. I thought that the roster last year was probably good enough to make a playoff run, but the quarterback play was, was not up to par. And, and so when they got him, I thought, okay, you know, like they've got a chance in particular in what I think is, is as tough a division as any in, in the sport, they got a chance to be competitive and, and make a playoff run. Um, I really, I have known about Nathaniel Hackett all the way since he was back at Syracuse, you know, so I'm a little more familiar with him than, than most. And he's always been a bit outside of the box. Um, you talk with players that played for him at Syracuse all the way through green Bay. And he's always been a little bit outside of the box and, and a style that is, is not traditional. And I think that's what is worrying people in Denver is that this is not, what we expect uh, from a camp and, and, and more so just a preparation of how a team gets ready for the season. <clears throat> I know that, listen, my dad was a, a, a high school football coach and I know the way that we practiced and, and at Colorado and the better teams that I've ever been on, they had moments and periods during practice where they sharpened each other, you know, <clears throat> and Amen. I think that one of the things I believe in is that your offensive line has to be the tone setter for your team in practice. Quarterback's going to lead you during, during a game. And that's understandable in the playmaking ability. And, and, but during practice, the character of your team is built through your offensive line. If your offensive line is savage, then your defensive line has to be savage. Just has to be. And, <clears throat> and that kind of permeates, you know, throughout your team. I, I know that they are taking a much different approach, and I understand that that's more the brother, style. Brother, it is not a different approach. It's – I went to about 10 training camp practices, and the only one where I saw them actually functioning like a football team was when they had the joint practice with the Cowboys. And they got like 10 fights, but they don't want to be physical in practice, but they're fighting. Mm -hmm. I, Joel, I don't understand this new, I, I don't understand the new way, I, wave of thinking that if we avoid the fundamental things that make football football, we're, we're going to avoid injury. How is that? How does that work? I think they're going to get hurt more because they're not ready to play. There's no callus built. Yeah, that, <clears throat> I, I tend to agree with that. <clears throat> it's also a sport that is... Um, so, for instance, like like baseball and basketball are sports that we've heard a lot about, like this whole resting theory, right? And trying to be road man. It, it, it kind of permeated through like track athletics and <clears throat> how do we how do you get yourself ready for the race? Uh, <clears throat> but football is a much different animal, and the reason is because you know success in football is realized through attention to detail and, and technique and fundamentals, Amen. which 
is different than a skill-based sport like baseball or basketball where, you know, the skills will carry the day. And so you can just do like, you know, BP and you can take jump shots and you can kind of lower the stress physically in your body. Well, the only way to practice football <clears throat> is to practice the live details and fundamentals of the sport. And, you know, if you're not doing that, then I think that you're playing with fire. Now, does that mean that they're going to be bad? I don't know. You know, it might work out. I, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I will tell you, I'm less optimistic now than I was before the year. Uh, did you watch a lot of that Buffalo game? I, I, I made a point to watch it, and I watched it twice. And it wasn't just bad technique. And I, I hear a lot of the, the talk heads talking about, well, they weren't put in position to be successful. Totally disagree. They were running base over and under fronts. They're running base personnel, and they're just like, hey, read your key, play hard, and see if you can make a play. And Buffalo's offensive line was taking it to the defense. Their defensive line was taking it to the offense. They looked slow. They looked lethargic. They didn't look like they knew what they were doing half the time. From a, from a pure, like, technique standpoint, and combining that with the deuces and the trays and the ace blocks and the gangs and everything that goes into football. And then the worst part about it is about halfway through the third quarter, I felt like the twos and the threes, and this is the second time in, in two weeks I've seen this, we're quitting on plays openly in the game. In the mm -hmm. Dallas game, number 17, I can't remember his name, broke down the left sideline. Rippon put it up perfectly. If he sprints through the route, it's a touchdown easily. You can see him look up and go, oh, my God, the ball's coming to me. And he accelerates and misses the ball. I watched four or five instances on guys chasing the ball where they're speeding up in the middle of the play and they miss the tackle. Well, they're not going full speed at the beginning. That's why they're speeding up. So – if you're not, if you're a first year coach, and I know this is a long question, long winded answer, or a long winded question for a short answer, probably, but Hackett came out and said that he doesn't like training camp. He doesn't see the point in it. It's stupid, and he, and he essentially hates it. As a first year coach with a bunch of first year assistants, how are you supposed to like get your team to buy into what you want them doing if you're saying everything you're doing is stupid and a waste of time and you just got here? So, <clears throat> One of the most important things that a head coach has to learn is not, is not X's and O's. It's not game management. It is communication. And, and what are you communicating to your group, both to them face-to-face, -to, -face, uh, to them as a group, and then to them through the media? Everything that you say is impactful as a leader. And, and I don't think he understands that yet. Um, and he'll probably learn that lesson very quickly, but you're right. Let me give you a quick example of just like language and how important it is for a leader. I tell college football coaches all the time, in particular, the ones that are going to get a new job. I was like, your, the history of this sport tells you that you need to go in and start talking to the media about how you want to change the culture of this program. We got to change the culture. We got to change the culture. We got to change the way we recruit and everything along those lines. And I'm like, that's, that's well and good. And, and the media might, you know, really eat that up. And you know what, your AD might eat that up and your president may eat that up and the fan base may really eat that up and they may love it. And they may think you're, you're really great. But what does that communicate to the guys that are reading it on social media or listening yeah. to it on online that are, that are your players? you're telling them that they're no good. And you're like, 
why not just change the language? Just say, I'm here to build a culture of success, of toughness, of competitiveness. I'm here to um, build a roster that is going to compete at the highest level. Then when your players hear that, see, you're communicating the same thing to the, to the media, the AD and the fan base and everything like that. But, but the difference is, is that when the player hears that who's already there, he feels like he's invited into something. He's not and isolated. He's part by the of the process versus right. the reason why it needs to change. So Amen. it's a quick example about language. And so to answer, to answer your question, I don't think Hackett understood that, like the impact of his words and what that was going to mean to the urgency of his practices. But we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, you know, it's this sport is, is a funky deal and everyone's trying to do new age things and practice in different ways. And um, it may work out. I don't know. It's a long season. Do you, do you think that Russell Wilson and look, he's a great he's probably a Hall of Famer now. He doesn't even need to keep playing. He's got another 10 years in it from what he says. This division is ruthless, but I dig that. I want to I want to play the best. I don't want to be in the AFC South. Um, I I look at it like I think Hackett and everybody's relying on Russell Wilson almost to a point of fault. Like, well, he's going to come in here and save us, and we're going to be automatically good because of him. What advice would you give them before we change the topic here on the Broncos on that front? Because one guy can't just fix everything, can he? No. Um, Stafford it's and Brady? Still, it's still, a, it's still <laughs> the best team sport that there is. You know? Amen. So, um, the way that I would say it is that there, there's, there's a minimum of what you have to be from a roster standpoint, and then after that, then your quarterback makes all the difference. There's a minimum – of what you have to be from an effort standpoint and a detail standpoint, and then your quarterback can make the difference. Um, what I get, what I would get concerned about, and this is what I would be nervous about is like, they've got no history or track record together. None. And this team has no, so they're going to go out there on the road against Seattle and what is going to be probably one of the most supercharged environments. A lot of these players have ever played in. It's the Super Bowl for the Seahawks, bro. And, and, and they, he's going to be hearing Hackett in his helmet for the first time. The players are going to be hearing Wilson, in the huddle in that environment for the first time. Do you think they should be playing in the preseason at least a quarter? Yes, yes absolutely. Me too. Of course. 100%. All right. So look, we'll see where that goes with the Broncos. We're not going to sit here and ask everybody to predict the future. I, I think that they're going to have a chance to be a playoff team. We'll see where they go from there. Like everyone says in the NFL, let's get into the tournament and see what happens. I know as a lifelong Bronco fan, you're pumped about them at least having a chance now to be competitive yeah. after the last five, six years have been so 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 damn terrible. This, ne <laughs> this next one I want to talk to you about here, okay, and it's almost bad of me to laugh about it too, but in college, Tyler Brayton knocked out Jesse Wallace with a helmet swing in the middle of practice and got suspended for a game. I remember that well. I was just a that young was, player, man. God, that was ruthless, wasn't it? I was like, oh, boy, I hope Jesse's not dead. Like, okay, it sounded not. like an extra large spaghetti can thrown onto the ground. <laughs> it's like a thud. I yeah, was it was like, bad. Oh, that was bad. And then, you know, it's happened It's happened in the past. I, I'm, I'm fault of this in practice in the NFL. I ripped somebody's helmet off and, like, kicked it at him and hit him in the, hit him in the nuts. And, like, look, tempers get high on, on the practice field, especially in the trench. Miles Garrett, a couple of years ago, ripped off uh, Rudolph's helmet and smacked him in the head with it and got spinning for the year. 
And yesterday, the ultimate savage, Aaron Donald, I got a picture of him. Everyone's seen it, of him standing there with two Bengals helmets in his hands, like looking like Jon Snow at the Battle of the Bastards in Game of Thrones, like, bring it on, Cincinnati, let's go. Just manned up, ready to rock. He was swinging both helmets pretty vicious. Um, it was a huge brawl. The NFL is sitting here, and all these coaches are talking about not being physical in practice, being safe. But every single joint practice I see, from Carol, from Carolina and New England to Cincinnati and LA to the Broncos and the Cowboys, everyone is just getting a knockdown, drag out brawls. Yeah, all over the NFL. This is a bad look, number one. And how can you tell me that we can't be physical and do nine on seven and pass rush, and we can't do double team drills, but we can fist fight? So, a couple of thoughts here. And I'm and I'm probably going to be more like uh, uh, you know me, dog. I, I'll if we want to fight, let's fight. Let's go. I'm not well, trying away from it. So yeah, let's start with that. Let's just start with like jurisdiction. Everyone's like, what are they going to do to Aaron Donald? Nothing. Nothing. It's nothing. practice. You know the problem with the Aaron Donald instance and all of these instances? It's that every Joe Schmo has a phone is going to post it, and then there's going to be eight million shows that talk about it, and everyone's got to yeah. have an opinion, and every opinion's got to be different, and it's got to be bold, and it's got to you know shake it up and get clicks and everything like that. I don't care that Aaron Donald got in a fight with the with Cincinnati Bengals. In fact, I like it. Hey, hey, Bengals and Rams, you just played in the Super Bowl. What do you think is going to happen if you get into a, a, a preseason practice, joint practice together? Like one hundred percent fight. So don't don't be stupid about it. So. What happens in practice happens, right? Like, and and it should be held internally, and it's why I don't love the public nature of all of these these training camp deals. But the almighty dollar is going to speak, and when you can make a buck out of training camp and get fans in there and, and do these types of things, then this is what's going to happen. Now, so that's jurisdiction as far as the NFL and if anything's going to happen there, Donald. Now, having said that. You brought up, hey, we want to be tough, but everyone's fighting. What? Why? Well, here's here's the reason. It's because of what we just talked about with, with Hackett's sentiment about training camp. Many of the veterans have the same sentiment about training camp. All they're trying to do in training camp is not get hurt. That's it. That's period. If you're a starter in the National Football League, all you're trying to do is not get hurt. Bare minimum. All right? Well, when you're trying to do the bare minimum – against a, a guy that is fighting tooth and nail for his future, his identity as a football player to make a club, he's going to be going 100% balls to the wall in practice. Why? Because that's his ability to put on film why he should be part of the 53-man roster. Yep. Against a guy who's only trying to not get hurt. So why do tempers flare more in training camp? It's because the expectation level of effort that's going on on the practice field, the guy who's trying to not get hurt is getting really pissed at the guy who's going balls to the wall, who's trying to make the team. That's why it flares up in training camp is, yep. is you, you are not like-minded. You don't have 22 pieces on the field, each side. They're all like-minded in what the effort level is about to be at the snap of the football. That's why you have so many fights in training camp. And when I was with the Jets, I, I came in there midseason and they made the playoffs before. And just to, if you don't remember these names, they're big time bets. And Kevin Mawise is a Hall of Fame center. And then Jason Fabini was a 15, 16 year vet. He was playing right guard. Curtis Martin's the tailback. Uh, and I remember like wearing, wearing full pads on a Wednesday and I am operating like it's the Super Bowl. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying to. Because you're trying team. to make it. You're yeah. trying to make the club. Yes. If I, if I lope, I get cut. 
and I get ostracized, they are so mad, take it easy, rookie, blah, 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 blah. And within three reps, we're fist fighting and everybody's at each other's necks. And it's exactly because of what you just said. The in, the inability to unleash and actually get better in a physical sport. That's the thing. You would have less fights if they were doing 20 plays of inside run. Everybody would be cooked. You'd have less fights if you were doing real one-on-ones and, and picking up ETs and TEs and tangos and all these other blitz packages, spinners and so on and so forth, because they'd be cooked. Now they're not doing anything in practice. They've got all this built up, built up like aggression. And what you said is they know it's going to be on film. So any disrespect now is heightened through the roof because Joe Schmo Blow is going to sit in his basement and criticize effort based on something that back in the day would just be a dust up and practice and we move on. To your point, uh, there was that clip that went viral of Jordan Davis, the rookie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, who, he, was, he was like bull rush in the center. Yes. And the, and center, he, the center was doing a really good job of like loading into his feet. Yeah, he's, Jordan he's Davis is huge. Down there. And by the way, I can't, I'm, I forgive me for not knowing the center's name, but he's a pretty like, he's a veteran. Right. And, and everyone's like, look at Jordan Davis, hand it to, you know, uh, I'm mad. I don't remember his name. I can't remember his name either, but it's not Kelsey. It's the other guy. But it's like, well, that that's why the veterans get pissed. You know, and and by the way, Jordan Davis's comment after was total class, and I think he's going to classy. Be, you know, he was he's like, also he you know this well too. Where he handed it to me, like that's the way practice goes. And if he would have, if he stands up like that in the game, and he put bull rushes that tall, well, we're there's five of us and four of them most of the time, and we're sliding, so that other guard's going to come to his hip and annihilate big man and put him on his head. So it's all about how it's looked at and perceived from a fan perspective player perspective, and then guys like us who have played the game and know what we're talking about. Do you, do you think that they're going to, like, just mandate this out as well? Like, okay, we're not going to do joint practices anymore because they're fighting, rather than, like, the cut block thing with Thibodeau. I got to get your opinion on this, too. Everybody's bitching about, like, Rick Eisen and all these, all these media dudes are like, outlaw the cut block. And I'm like, outlaw the cut block? As a guy who's cut blocked a ton of people and a guy who's been cut blocked by a ton of people, these are called hands. There's this drill we do. It's called playing the cut. Why are we outlawing it? Why don't we teach them how to play the cut block? I don't disagree with you. I get frustrated um, when our our outrage is based um, on who was cut, not the actual cut block itself. Good point. You know, when when a veteran goes out there and and cuts a, a rookie and and sends him up heels overhead. Everyone's like, man, look how good that veteran is. You know, and, and so I think we get caught uh, evaluating and talking about football based on, on who it is and our expectations of those players. And, like, no one wants to see rookies get hurt. Uh, but this was one of the problems with Thibodeau in college is that he couldn't stay healthy. And part of the reason he couldn't stay healthy is because he's not great with his hands. He's a super talented pass rusher, really talented. But if you can f- see as a pass rusher, the focus of the offense is not on you, right? Like you can get slid to and double teamed and chipped and things, but the focus of the offense, but in the run game, the offense can focus its attention on certain aspects of the defense. Yes, and sir. So when he's put into the focus of, of the offense and the offensive line, you better play with great hands. You better play with great 
gap responsibility, understand which arms have to be free, understand what you're trying to do, what your base is trying to do, and who's going to be coming at you and trying to block you. That was always one of my criticisms of him in evaluating him for the draft was, you know, like uber talented. When you get him on third down, man, he's tough to block. He's really tough. And, and clearly there's a spot for a guy like that in the National Football League. But to be a great every down player, he was going to have to really improve the way that he sheds and 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 bases up. So, you know, this is a learning experience. Why not saying rather than saying outlaw the cut block, we should be saying like, boy, what a great learning experience for Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, man. Don't demonize the guy who's trying the other guy's trying to make a, a play and get a job as well. So, look, I, I totally agree with you that they need to enhance the practicing of this, but it requires physicality and it requires contact and they don't want to do that in practice either. So this is a really slippery slope. I bet you, if you sat Thibodeau down in a room and you asked him like, okay, this is either 11 or 12 personnel with a scissor tight end, either a tight end heavy or he's off the ball three by one scissor. You got a three technique inside of you. They're running zone left. They're scissoring the tight end back. They're double teaming the three technique. If you squeeze and read your key, you hide behind the tackle. This can't happen to you. You're trying to pass rush every play. That's why you're putting yourself in a position to get hurt. I bet you he wouldn't know what I was talking about right there. You'd have to explain it to him three or four times. And he's a top 10 pick. So that's an indictment on coaching. It's an indictment on what he did before he got to the Giants. It's it's At some point, everybody's got to stop focusing on the fact that a one-minute clip on Instagram or Twitter or whatever looks cool, but the knowledge of the game will keep you from getting crushed and hurt. So well, hopefully you, know, hopefully you learn from the, it. The, the first thing I was talking about, just detail. You know, I mean, this, this sport is 100% about detail. Yep. You know, every single snap of the football is about who's more detailed than their opponent, you know? Period. Period. Joel Clad joins us here on episode nine, a little bit savage and a whole lot of average here. Make sure you check it out on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all over the place. Make sure you give Joel a follow also on the platforms. Does a great job. All right. So moving into college football here, uh, check out Colorado Center of Functional Medicine. They were in there on Sunday helping the Dungeon family with recovery, all the protein they provide, all the blood work and the paneling and everything that they do over there. Go check them out at CC. Go check out CCFM. Uh, they are proud partners here of uh, Savage and Average and Six Zero. So go check them out. They bring us our college football talk here as we move on. Matt McChesney here, and any of you that are looking to improve performance and get your health in check, reach out to our friends at the Colorado Center for Functional Medicine. Their men's health optimization plan is designed specifically for males that can identify specific health priorities, which many doctors fail to address. They use precision blood work, which looks at your hormones levels, your micronutrient levels, your insulin, and many other markers, which are often overlooked. This plan can also include an advanced body composition analysis to see where your body fat, your muscle mass, your visceral fat levels are at any order to establish individual nutrition plans for every single client. Stop relying on fad diets, crazy workout programs, and bro science. Health and fitness are not the same thing. If you want true results, they can help you at CCFM. Mention the podcast Savage and Average to receive a 10% a 10% discount on 
every single optimization plan, as well as a free body composition analysis and nutrition consultation. Their website is www.ccfuncmed.com. That's www.ccfuncmed.com. Or call them at 303-500-3038. Joel. All right, so you said you, you're opening with Purdue, Penn State. I think Penn State's a sleeper in the Big Ten and could really, really shock some people. Uh, their quarterback went down last year, and they hit the skids. But before that, they were crushing. And then you've got Texas, Alabama. Alabama goes to Austin. Last year, Texas went to Arkansas and got mopped. You know, I, I've been saying this. We're going to talk about conference realignment here in a minute, but be careful what you wish for. You know, they pretty much gutted the Midwest Conference that, you know, Nebraska, Colorado, Texas, Oklahoma, all those teams are gone from the Midwest and they're circumventing to other places. Careful what you wish for is all I'm saying. So, first of all, how pumped are you for the start of college football uh, to, to get going? And then talk about the the Penn State-Purdue opener, how pumped you are for that, and then Texas-Alabama a bit before we get into the buffs. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I can't wait for college football. This, you know, this is, this is, my, uh, this is my wheelhouse. I, I love it. I love the sport. I love it so much. People always ask me, you know, whether I would want to do something else. And I say, absolutely not. Um, no way. This, this is uh, a great time of year. Um, I do love that we don't have this training camp period in college football. Now, listen, it's hard because you got to go out there and the first time you play, it's, it's live. And, but I love the sense of urgency that that creates for the first week, you know, Penn state, Purdue, this is a big game for both of these conference games, huge conference game. It's, it's enormous. Penn state does not have an easy schedule. Uh, Obviously in that division, you're going to have Michigan state, Michigan and Ohio state. Anyways, they've got to host Ohio state. They got to go to Auburn two, uh, two weeks later on week three. Uh, And then they open on the road against Purdue and Purdue, by the way, is no slouch. They got their quarterback back. And uh, I think coach Brom has done a really nice job with Purdue. See the big 10, Matt, it's so fascinating to me because it's clearly you've got Ohio state and they've kind of been the class of the conference. And then last year, Michigan made a great run and they were great. Michigan state won 11 games. But if you take actually, and I did this whole thing, if you take the last call it 10 years, and you say, like, who are the three best teams? Who's the top tier of the league? It's, it's Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those are the three kind of, like, top-tier teams. If you draw a line under Michigan right there – and, by the way, that's by record, league record, okay? Right. And if you draw a line just under Michigan and you go all the way down to Nebraska, who's, like, 10th on that list, okay? So from 3 to 10, those seven teams, 14, 4 to 10, those seven teams, they can beat each other on any given day. This is what's so difficult about that league, right? Is that, for instance, last year, Nebraska was three and nine. Okay. You would think like, oh, they were terrible. Yep. Michigan State was 11 and two, I think. Um, yes, 11 and two. You were like, oh man, they must have been amazing. Nebraska held Michigan State to zero first downs in the second half of their matchup. And the only reason Michigan State beat Nebraska is because they fielded a punt with about three minutes left and took it back for a touchdown, right? So it was just a total kind of a fluke special teams play. Didn't and Nebraska lose? An 11-win team and a three-win team. They lost point. eight games by like one score, right? Nine. Nine uh, games nine. by one score. Wow. All nine. All for one wow. possession games, including Ohio State, including Michigan. Michigan. You know, so including Oklahoma on the road, these are all top 10 caliber teams. 
So my, my point is like, even with how great Penn state has recruited and you would think that they're better than Purdue, man, watch out because Purdue is one of those teams. Um, I do think that I, I, I agree with you about Penn state as far as what they were prior to the injury to Sean Clifford. I was doing the game when he got injured against Iowa, they're going to beat Iowa. If he stays healthy, he gets injured. They just don't have any depth. Now they've got some depth. They've got good young players, got a good young running back. I'm interested to see how their defense plays, not to get too into the weeds for Colorado fans, but their defensive coordinator was was one of the two most respected defensive coordinators in the league. His name was Brent Pry. The other most respected is Jim Leonard, uh, the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. Um, I think you played with Jim at, at the Jets, maybe. Maybe not. Uh, maybe he was gone by then. But anyway, uh, he, he was, I, I'm pretty sure he was there. We overlapped for like a year, I think. Yeah, he was a safety in the league, Baltimore Jets, kind of a Rex Ryan style guy. But anyways, I digress. Like Brent Pry was that level of respect. You know, when you ask Ryan Day, who are the toughest guys to face? It's Jim Leonard and, and Brent Pry. Well, Brent Pry left. So he's now at Virginia Tech and he's the head coach. And that's going to be difficult for James Franklin to replace. He brings in the former Miami coach. Um, Manny Diaz, who's now going to be the defensive coordinator for Penn State. And that was a team last year that was defensive-led, okay? They had some really good players on that defensive side, including Jaquan Brisker, who's one of my favorite safeties. Um, but Who's blowing out right now. They'll have to answer that. Real quickly, um, as far as the Big Ten and that matchup goes, a sleeper team, it's hard for me to say that you're going to be a good sleeper out of that Big Ten East because you got to face Michigan and Ohio State. So you got to overcome odds that are really difficult. What we generally see is out of the out of the Big Ten West, what we see is a team that is not in the top 10 or not ranked preseason that jumps up to that point because they don't have the ceiling of Ohio State kind of jamming them down in their own division. Right. So watch out for a team like Minnesota. Minnesota has has the better crossover schedule with the East than Iowa and Wisconsin. They've got Tanner Morgan back, who's been in the league longer than Tom Brady. Um, they've got their running back back after his Achilles injury, who's a really good player, uh, Mohamed Ibrahim. And so, like, they're a nine-win team last year. Uh, watch out for Minnesota. Um, I know Colorado fans don't want to hear that because that's going to be a tough game. I mean, they housed Colorado last, last year. 30 to nothing. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't pretty. So watch out for Minnesota. Do you think that the Big Ten top to bottom is the best conference? Uh, it's, it's, you can't Either say them that the they're not the best at the top. You know, I think that, that that four to ten, I think that they're better than the four to ten in the SEC. I'm in the minority of that, that thought process. But the top three in the SEC are better than the top three in the Big Ten. And so that's going to carry the day. So – the simple answer to that is the best conference in the country is the SEC. Um, yeah. But man, like the Big Ten's not that far behind, and the middle of that conference is incredibly difficult. Um, I think even more so than the SEC. All right, Joel. So moving forward here, I had Adam, Adam Brenneman on last week, and we were talking about this, and I, I agree with him, and I'd like to see it go this way. Conference, you know, expansion and people moving around and so on and so forth. Do you think it's four 20-team conferences, no divisions, play who you play? I'd like to see them go to 14 or 15 games for the season uh, just to so you can play more games against quality competition and stop with this like if you lose once, you can't get in crap. 
Like I don't care well, if you lose once or twice in the in in college football. If you get into the playoff, it would force expansion there too to maybe twelve teams. How do you feel about all that moving forward? Well, I don't think that there's enough uh, major brands to do four conferences of twenty. So you don't think there's eighty teams that can sustain that? I don't. I don't think so. Um, and then. I mean, this is a little bit long-winded, but... That's what we do, brother. So, I know everyone thinks that, like, that's just the way that it's going to go. But you've, you've got to understand how things like that happen. In order for that to happen, the Big Ten and the SEC have to expand four by four. Okay? Yes. 16 to 20. That means that in practice, in reality, the 16 presidents or chancellors, not, not ADs, not the commissioner, not the other schools that they're potentially going to bring in, those 16 chancellors and presidents have to sit in a room together and vote to invite other schools in. Okay? At this point, they would be diluting their revenue share to do that. They're not increasing their revenue share to bring in, like, for, for example, I know that the Big Ten has talked a little bit about, like, oh, we're going to stay aggressive. Fine, but in order to bring on, let's call it Cal, Stanford, Oregon, and Washington, whatever, right? Like, name right. four schools. In order to bring those, those schools on, you have to do it one of two ways. You either have to bring them on as a sub-tier partner and, and don't give them equal revenue share or as an equal partner and give them equal revenue share while not increasing the revenue fourfold over what it, it, it would be normally. So the pie is this big. Your slice is this big. You're going to have to take less of a slice in order to have those four teams. Why would the president at Ohio State and Minnesota and Wisconsin want to do that? And so do you think they're going to stay at like a 16? I, because again, like this is not up to, Hey, what, what makes most sense from a division and league standpoint and what makes most sense for college football. That's not how this is going to be decided. This is going to be decided by presidents in a room voting, whether they're going to bring on extra partners or not. And to do that, they're going to have to either bring them on as a lesser partner or equal partner. And if they do equal partner, which is their model uh, of the way that they've operated for years, they're going to have to take less money to do that. That doesn't seem like like doesn't seem like that's going to happen, at least to me. Now, the other one is the SEC. And it's like, well, clearly they're going to take Clemson and Miami and Florida State. Well, are they? Because remember the main economic driver for the SEC is ABC ESPN. In fact, that's the only economic driver that they have from a television right. revenue standpoint. But ESPN ABC already owns all the Clemson games and the Miami games and Florida State games because they exclusively have a relationship with the ACC. And they're tied up until 2036. So, so ESPN would have to give the blessing to the SEC to go blow up their very network-friendly deal in the SEC that runs through 2036, and they would have to say, yeah, go ahead and bring Clemson over so that we can pay Clemson more 
for the same games that we already have access to. Well, that doesn't make any sense either to me. So just from a, from a, from a business and, and, a, and a reality of how these decisions work, I don't think that we're going that direction, Matt. Now, we, we might. I, listen, I could so be. Where, where do we go? I think that we go to a place where the SEC and the Big Ten are 16 teams each. They're the most powerful entities in the sport, and they basically govern the sport. And they're going to tell everyone what's going to be going on. They're going to agree on transfer rules. They're going to agree on NIL uh, rules. They're going to agree on what should our postseason look like. And then they're going to tell everybody else, take it or leave it. Now, I don't know if that means that the Pac-10 now is going to, you know, merge with the – I don't know what it all looks like. I just – to me, I I don't see a scenario where the Big Ten and the SEC are all that eager to grow past their their 16, which they will currently be in. Um, If they do, you know, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, But the the, the next thing that I would say is that – and this is where people, especially in Colorado, they hate that I have this opinion. And I understand that Colorado is in a precarious spot. But, Matt, there is, there is a scenario that we're moving into a better position in college football globally than what we have been in. I, per, I That's fair. personally believe that the subjective 14 playoff has hurt the sport dramatically. Dramatically. If you look at the parity, the width, and the national aspect of the sport from 1992 to 2005, it was really good. You had champions from every region, from every conference, and you had access to it. People felt like, hey, if we won, we could have a shot. Colorado almost gets in there in 01, even with two yep. losses right there. You know, so there was, there was a path to the national championship to, to a significant – definition of success during that time period the playoff ripped that away now unless you're in the playoff you are not successful you are not top tier and yet the barrier to to the playoff is more significant than any of the barriers prior yeah we only had two teams playing in the bcs national championship game but at least you had access to it at least you had access to it you could actually get in if you earn it now the benefit of the doubt is given to the better teams. The burden of proof is on the lesser candidate. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's bad for the sport. So what has happened is the entire sport has been jammed up into the top five schools in the country. I, like, I can say this, and it's not great for the sport. There are only five teams maximum this year that can win the national championship. Really, three, maximum five. That's not good for the sport. uh, It's Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. Who are the other two? Clemson and maybe Texas A&M. Yep, that's pretty much how I feel about it, too. All right, so, okay. So, moving into our Colorado Buffaloes here, and we both bleed black and gold, but I do think that there's a huge difference between the Big 12 North and when we played and the Pac-12 South where they're playing now. they're, they're over under with the sports books is like three wins, which is not good. Um, how do you feel about CU this year moving forward? You know, I, I understand that you're looking at it from a bird's eye view. So am I retrospectively, you know, I, I work with a lot of the guys up there and talk to them a lot, but I'm not in the meeting room. Um, 
I think they're a six-win team and can make a bowl game. But I'm super optimistic when it comes to our Buffaloes, and you know this. Yeah. So we're both going to be up there for the opener on that Friday night. You're taking yeah. your babies. I'm taking mine. It's going to be awesome. What what are what are the boys going to see when we go up there and we're like, yo, back in the day, blah blah blah. I don't know that. I, this is a great question. I you know, I would not be shocked if Colorado won seven games this year. I love it. I I also Matt will not Damn be it. shocked if they but. win two games this year. <laughs> I don't love it. <laughs> uh, right, right. Um, and the reason is, is because, you know, Colorado's in, in the boat right now, and there's a lot of programs like this, a lot of group of five teams, a, blo- a lot of, of programs that have struggled in the, in the Power Five over the last decade. And right now, those schools are getting decimated by the transfer portal, and Colorado is no different. You know, they got decimated guys. by the tra- transfer portal. Now, yep. if you talk with Coach Durrell and the people up there, they try to spin it as addition via subtraction that they think that they're going to be better, that their culture is better now than it was before. Now, having said that, I think, you know, the way coach put it to me is there was only one guy who left that he was like, dang, I really wanted to keep him. It was the DB. Oh, it was the DB. Or or Gonzalez, right? Yeah. Yeah. So He's a hell of a player. Right. And and so I'm like, okay. Um, Now, having said all of that, all of that, Colorado's problems come down to one thing, line play. Yep. That's it, Matt. That's it. They have not recruited the offensive line well enough, in particular in-state, and they have not developed up front. And I'm interested to see how the O-line coaching change from middle of last year materializes now through a full offseason. I like their strength coach. I don't know how we've never actually spoken about it, but like I'm interested to see how it's developing from, from the, from the change mid-year last year, you fix some things schematically. I think the offense is a better offense and more suited to create an identity for the five guys up front. But that's where my whole question is, is, is what's going on there. And I do think like they've just got to recruit better on the offensive line. And this is where you and I, I know, agree. I think it's an absolute shame that they don't get the best offensive lineman from the state every single year. Yeah, not only do they not get them, but they're in my facility and they're still not getting them. Like it, and that's, that's even worse. Pay somebody to sit in your facility every day. <laughs> yeah. I, like, for, for example, like the last two, three years, four years, Drake Nugent and Bear Miller at Stanford Drake's now an Outland and Remington award like finalist as a junior. He wasn't tall enough. According to Clayton Adams, uh, the next year losing Trey Zoom to Texas A&M. And now he's the starting left tackle for him. That that's pretty bad. Okay. Yes. The next, the next year losing mm-hmm. Braden Miller, whose brother, we already lost Barrett Miller to Stanford to Michigan state, not even offering a guy like Connor Jones, who's now at Michigan losing Reese Atterbury from Eagle Crest to Michigan. That's pretty bad. And then this this year alone, Zach Henning, the Grandview tackle, is one of the best I've ever had in the building, to Washington. And then Josh Bates. And I know this is going to hurt your chest like it hurts mine, but Justin was my recruiting. He, he, he was my like guy. Yeah, bro. Like, he went to the same high school you went to. He's our, he's our people. And his son is committed to Oklahoma. 
He's not going to CU. He's going to Oklahoma. So just that alone, that's a bunch of pros, bro. Well, and, and, and they, listen, even if they're not pros, like if you just get those kids or even 75% of those kids, my take is that's what makes you exactly what we I were. agree. Which I is agree. like the seven to nine win team. And then if you can go grab a kid here or there from a skill position standpoint, if you get the quarterback right, now you can go and, and be a nine, 10 win team. And it also shows when our hotbed is offensive linemen. That's what Colorado has. We got them. It shows the, the skill players in the state that they're plucking the Cole Taylors to LSU and Alex Padilla to Iowa and losing Doman to Arizona. And you know the story, the way it goes, not getting any of the McCaffrey brothers, yeah. so on and so forth. It shows the skill players that they should be going to Boulder too. So it's not like they're not recruiting in state. They are the starting left tackle, Jake Wiley's from Eagle Crest. He's, he's one of those guys from the gym. Austin Johnson's a kid from Highlands Ranch. But – if you take those two and you add them with all these other guys we just talked about, even just four others, just yeah, four you've got that foundation of like the pride of playing in state and wanting to turn it around. And I think they're going to be significantly better this year up front. I've been working with them all off season, but last year at this time, I was super, super worried about the fact that they didn't have pass protection rules and the coaching, I thought that Mitch Rodriguez was the worst offensive line coach in the history of college football. And I know that's harsh, but it was it was terrible. And now they've got Kyle Devan. And I played with Kyle in, in the NFL. Yeah. He's coming from Michigan. He does things right. I like I, Kyle I think that a lot. they have the opportunity to go out and really turn some heads just because of the coaching and the way they're being pushed. Yeah. And I like their offensive coordinator. I liked him at Minnesota. Um, if you looked at what Minnesota has been able to do over the last couple of years, you, Matt, if you were to sit down and like really look and you, you take away the flair of, of the PJ Fleck and stuff like that, if you just oh, look, I, at I it, love their offense and the way they, run they really do, you know, how they practice, what they do, how they recruit. That's it's like a blue, it's like a Colorado blueprint. Development. You know, it's like, okay, like we could do that. We could play with two tight ends at times. Now, I'm not saying you have to run the ball 80 times, but you can have an identity. Utah, folks, has built themselves into a top 10 preseason team. And the, the Pac-12 champion, this was a Mountain West school. Like, Utah yeah. has, has not even close to the history of Colorado, but they've done it with – Great identity. Like if you talk with Kyle Whittingham, you know exactly what you're getting, right? And and Colorado's got to find that identity or, or reclaim that identity. And one of the things Utah is, is you ask every single school in the Pac-12 about like Utah, what what is tough about facing Utah? They all say the exact same thing. They're the most physical team in the conference. And disciplined. Well, and, and they play disciplined, yes, but they're the most physical team in the conference. 100% smash mouth, yep. So it's just tough. So Oregon rolls in there with all those special athletes, got drugged twice. Twice. Ryan Day was – and granted, Ryan had some guys that were not playing in that game in the, in the Rose Bowl, but I had talked to him and he was like, he was like, boy, that crew got after it. And I was like, you you better believe it. And right, they did. So do, do you think do you think that like and we'll go story time here, but it was going into your junior year, my senior year, we were, we were in spring practice, I think. 
could have been in the fall. And Barnett just kind of walked by and he's like, hey, quarterbacks are alive. And back in the day, it, it, it was just different, folks. You Now you even breathe on the quarterback, you're getting kicked out of practice. But, but I, I, I beat the guard and I got a good shot on you and drove you into the turf pretty hard. And you, the, before I can even get back to the line of scrimmage, you're running by me like, that didn't hurt you, pussy. Bring it more. You're, you're, I didn't even feel that. You suck. And that's, <laughs> That's leadership, right? That's leadership. That's toughness from your quarterback. You got it. the quarterback, in my opinion, has got to be the toughest, surliest son bitch on the team, especially if you're trying to deal with a bunch of animals. And full circle, last question I got for you here. JT Stroud, Lewis, do you think either of those two kids can be that guy? And I keep hearing that McNown is real. He's a lefty and he can spin it and he's in people's faces and he's leading just He's got his daddy was a baller. So uh, the quarterback position to see you, I think that could be a real separator for this team this year. You think they got any dogs like the little Joe Clapp mentality that's going to uh, park back? I think it's harder now. I think it's 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 harder now because of the way that we treat quarterbacks. You know, quarterbacks are groomed now from the time that they're young, almost like individual sport athletes. It's almost like they're tennis players. Um, and that is not good. You for said their, it. <laughs> it's, it's not good for their um competitive toughness uh i am a big believer that kids any position but in particular quarterbacks should learn to fall in love with competing more than learn to fall in love with the skill of the position of quarterback and i can't stand the direction that has gone and everyone's got to have their individual quarterback coach and you've got to go throw seven on seven and everything I want kids to have a scoreboard and a clock and compete, whether it's ba- you know baseball, basketball, wrestle for crying out loud. I don't, I don't care. Whatever it is. Compete. And, and, and that's what I think can, is missing at times from, from the modern quarterback in, in college football. One thing that I think also goes – well, let me go back to that story really quickly. And this is not to like say that I did it correct because – I didn't have any other choice. I wasn't as talented as our other quarterbacks. When you just watched them throw, when they threw routes on air or one-on-one or seven-on-seven, you know, you would have walked out and been like, why is the kid wearing number 14 your starter? Like the other one should be three inches taller and throws. But, but I understood that it wasn't about the skill of the position. It was about operating the offense, right? And it, and it was about, How do you operate the offense? Do you know the defense well enough? Do you know your own system? Do you know why? Can you manipulate the system? Can you do all those things? Can you will the ball down down the field? Can you operate with a play clock, with the pressure, all of these things? So you don't know this, I I don't think. The reason Coach Barnett would say quarterback is live is because I used to go to his office in spring football my whole career, all the way up until I was a senior, and beg him to make us live. Really? Because it was the only differentiator I had over the other quarterbacks. And bro, it, it worked. So that's a little method of madness. But I, I was pointing when you're talking about this, I'm pointing at my chest. Like, I, I played with a lot of different guys at the quarterback position, and I don't know anybody that had more heart or competitive drive than you. One for. I mean, and if you brought it every day, a little bro. bit of talent, I could have been something. But but you know what I mean. Like that's that's 
that's the type of guy that I'd like to see. And, and you see that. And then if you combine that with talent, then you get a CJ Stroud, you get a Bryce Young and you get, you know, all these things, but these guys have, have real competitive fire. There's a reason that Utah was, I think seven and one or nine and one with Cameron rising as their starting quarterback and one and two with Charlie Brewer. There's a reason why Cam has something else. And Brewer's probably a better talent. Probably, which is why he won the starting job. Yep. But this is, so I'm, I was constantly panicked that I was going to lose my job if I just had to sit there and throw next to our next our other quarterbacks. I had a decent arm. It wasn't great by any means. I was kind of accurate. Not great. It wasn't fast. I didn't do anything special. So, Matt, I would beg him, please make us live. Because as soon as we had a play clock, a live pass rush, down, you know, chains, and we're, we're marching to score, that's the only way I could separate myself out. So those guys up there at Colorado – you're looking for that player. You're looking for the player who's not out there retreating when he feels a pass rush. You're looking for a guy who is going to doggedly try to will the ball down the field. That's Lean what great that. quarterbacks do. Amen, brother. Lean into that pressure. All right, last thing I got for you. The communists go to Dublin to play Northwestern, and our man Pat Fitzgerald, we, Pat was at CU when we were there for a little bit. Uh, I'm always pulling for Patty Fitzgerald. He's the man. Um, if things go wrong with Carl Durrell, I would throw the boat and the world at that guy to see if you get him to Boulder, which will never happen. Um, wh why these two teams in Dublin? Why? I don't know. I haven't had anybody explain that to me either. Um, I'm not against it by any means, but yeah. why – why these two in Dublin of all places? I mean, you've seen these style games, you know, take place. I think Cal went down to like Australia or something like that. Um, yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't have a great answer for, for why. Uh, I do know that these week zero games are attractive. I think Scott Frost is, is up against it at Nebraska. I can't wait Boy, to see what, what happens with him. Um, from my standpoint, I think, you know, if I had like a, a top five list of coaches in the sport, Pat Fitzgerald's on it. Nick Saban's obviously on it. That only leaves three spots. Ryan Day is probably on it. You, you, you get to the, my point here. Like there's not a lot of guys I hold in that echelon. Uh, Pat's one of them. Um, I agree with you. I've begged Pat, by the way, just so you know, behind closed doors. Please come to Boulder. <laughs> please, please. We'll do anything. He put his arm around me, and he was just like, hey, not happening. I was like, I know. Good talk, Pat. Good, Good talk. talk. Good talk. All right, brother. Um, have an unbelievably great and blessed year. I can't wait to listen to your calls every weekend. Uh, you and Gus up there killing it. Um, I will see you next Friday night when our Buffaloes take on TCU, who's three or three wins last year. CU was four, so that's a winnable game. They're 11-point dogs. That's a huge slap in the face. So hopefully, they're motivated. Um, thank you so much for doing the show, bro. And obviously, we'll be posting this and getting it out there to the world. Um, keep doing your thing, JK. You're, you're a leader out there, bro, and a lot of people see it, and it's awesome. Like I, I'm so, so, uh, so happy for you and your family, and you just keep killing it, dog. Well, last thing that I'll say, and thank you for having me. Love you like a brother. Amen. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of these discussions can be downers and like, there's a lot of issues in college football. I will say this, and I am a firm believer college football has never been better. The product has never been better. Um, you know, these players have never been better. So 
you know, that there is bright days ahead, I think, for college football in general. Amen to that. The great Joel Klatt joining us here on episode nine. Joel, thank you, brother. Shoulder to shoulder. Go Buffs. I'll see you next Friday. You got it. See you, bud. Later, bro. Great show here on Savage and Average episode nine. I am your host, Matt McChesney. Thank you to Travis Jones for all he does behind the scenes uh, to keep us going. Next week, we're either going to have David Bruton on on Tuesday or later in the week, and we'll figure out who's going to be the guest, including Dave. Uh, but like we said, Savage Average is up. Uh, check it out on YouTube. It'll be posted there. Also, all the social media platforms. And a huge thanks to Joe Clapp for all he does. So thanks, folks, and uh, we'll see you next week. Next week.